What was it like working with Larry David? Larry would say, yeah, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and we'd do a take, and he'd stand there just for a couple seconds, rethinking what had just happened, and he would kind of nod his head and slowly walk away. And hmm. he'd walk over to Video Village and right. talk with his producers. <laughs> and then you're just wondering, oh, boy. Yeah. Come yeah. back. He goes, that was good. That was good. Uh, let's do it again. Do whatever you want. <laughs> and you do it again. And, right. and then eventually, all right, let's... Uh, I think we're going to move on. <laughs> and you'd move on and just... Uh... And then I heard other stories about, you know, just him yelling at people, just say the line! Just say this! It was great. Yeah. My name is Wes Gibbons, and welcome back to the Tungsten Originals podcast. You just heard part of my conversation with comedian and actor Craig Anton. We discussed how he got started in the industry, what it was like working on shows such as Mad Men, Mad TV, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and others, and also advice he has for those who want to make it in show business. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Episode 36 of the Tungsten Originals Podcast. Craig, thank you so much for doing the podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. We this just is... started the first week yes. of clasping back. First of all, can I say this is uh, an honor to be on WTF? Thank you. <laughs> it's and a, yeah, wow. I'm taking over for Mark. I didn't expect there to be a live studio audience. It's a huge though. studio. We have about 450 people here, but they're very quiet. Different, different podcast. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> And it's a huge room, too. What is she looking at? I don't know. She's been an issue the whole time. Okay. Every episode, she comes back. Replace her. <laughs> um, you are a performing arts professor here at, here at our lovely university. Is that true? That's what I've heard. Okay. I took a class. I don't know if that was like a rogue, a rogue class. Did you break into the system? I am not certified <laughs> in many things, so okay. that, must have been, that must have been a mistake. Yes. Instead of a certification, you have a non-certification. Mm -hmm. But you've got a long career of acting and comedy and stuff, so I'd like to start back from the beginning, just off recording. We were kind of talking about growing up in your hometown. I did some research last night. Nice. And uh, <laughs> I, I saw that you, you started doing theater as a kid in your hometown of Omaha, mm -hmm. and then you pivoted to stand-up when you were still in high school, mm -hmm. when you were a teenager. Where did your interest in stage performance come from? Is your like family particularly artistic? Or were you like the only one, like the odd one out in that mm -hmm. situation? Where did that spark come from? I think I did have some dynamic uh, parents in terms of personality. And for whatever reason, they made a, um, I don't think they made an issue out of it, but somehow we had like magazines around the house that were like movie magazines okay. or, you know, there was some yeah. kind of, and, and, they also would drag us in front of the TV. Check this out. They were excited <laughs> okay. about movies and music. And, yeah. and um, so that's kind of really where where it started. Mm -hmm. Music was huge in the house. Okay. So they, they were never in entertainment or okay. theater, music, or anything. But I just remember that being a part of my, yeah, my, my life. And, yeah. and, and so I think in kindergarten or first grade, I wanted to be in the talent show. Right, and so that was the thing. I just said I yeah. want to do this thing, and I did a, a lip sync to uh, "Joy to the World." Uh, oh wow! By Three Dog Night with my sister, and it was all my idea. Okay, or maybe I wanted to play, and my parents said, "Why don't you just lip sync?" I don't know what happened, but <laughs> right, that was my first time, like insisting on wanting to be on stage, and right, and uh, never being afraid, never being nervous. Hmm. And then after that, I think I started trying out for plays and things. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, we'll drive you to that audition. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> so they were just like fully supportive of it. Yeah. What did they do? What were their careers? My mother was just a homemaker and took okay. care of us. And yeah. my father worked as a salesman, okay. sold credit life insurance and mm -hmm. rode the rails. He was a Willie Loman type guy yeah, a little yeah. bit, but he was mm -hmm. around a lot. And prior to that, he was uh, yeah in the service and okay. off at Air Force Base and he... Uh, he had a great, great love of jazz music, so mm -hmm. we would just, you know, all hours of the day or night, yeah. the stereo would crank 
with music and in the yeah. car it would crank with music and, mm -hmm. and he would always go out and see jazz with my mother and so that was a big part of it so it all started with the music i think so yeah, yeah. so you did theater at your school but why did you transition to stand up like when did comedy become well, this Part was of it. 70, you know, five is when yeah. SNL started and right. there was a comedy explosion and, a, mm -hmm. a, you know, and a subversiveness about it. And my father was kind of a rebel and a maniac. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think comedy at that time was just starting to take a new turn. Okay. And, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of stand-ups coming on television. Hmm. And uh, you'd read about it in magazines yeah. and things, you know. <laughs> so that inspired myself and, mm -hmm. and a like-minded group that happened to find themselves. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of a special thing that happened. I mean, it was a group of people that got together who were interested in theater, but also interested in sketch right. and, uh, yeah, getting silly and weird. And so that was the, that was the deal that took us into the clubs. I think we had mm -hmm. one buddy who was a comic magician uh, and who was doing stuff all the time in yeah. real venues. And then this club popped up once a week and he started performing there and okay. you know he was kind enough to bring us in one at a time and yeah. then we did a group thing and mm -hmm. and it just started from there and yeah. uh, you know grateful to have that opportunity grateful to my parents to let me right. go out on a Sunday night and I didn't go out every Sunday night but right. you know I was in high school doing it, and yeah. as we w all were. Mm -hmm. and, but there were adults, and we were adults in the crowd and adult stand-ups. And so yeah. comics would come through from Kansas City, Minneapolis, Chicago, Denver, whatever. And okay. you just so see more yeah, and yeah, yeah. get invested more and see what works. Just yeah. keep trying. But we were truly the obnoxious kids that were just <laughs> really trying to not get ass back. Right, right, right. Was it mostly sketch? Yes. Okay. Sketch and mime. And okay. then we all started doing our own kind of character things or yeah. stand-up routines. Yeah. Do you remember the first joke that you did in a stand-up routine that got no. a really good laugh? No. Okay. I used to pull a lot of stuff out of a bag. Okay. So, yeah. But no, I don't remember. Okay. Were you the type of kid to, like, try to make jokes and make your parents laugh? Not really. Okay. No. My father generally had to be the funniest person in the room. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I learned everything from him. Right. And my mother was very funny as well, but very dry. So he was mm. a bit bigger. Yeah. And she was drier. But uh, yeah, we would joke around quite a bit. Right. There was great humor at the dinner table and stuff. But mm -hmm. in class, I found yeah, you 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 know you sit on your hands and you wait for that perfect opportunity rather than popping off every four seconds. That yeah. that guy is a clown. That yeah. guy's a goofball. You yeah. Don't, you know. That guy's he's annoying. Trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. When did you first start seeing like some form of success in your stand-up comedy? I think in eighth eighth grade when I booked a role in a in a children's theater production that ran for a couple months or something. I mean, it was that that was like, oh, you know, I can do yeah. this. This is kind of fun, and okay, there's a validation there. And then yeah. I think when yeah, I did a play in high school or maybe in college, but the stand-up thing. Yeah, I think just having the ability to go do it was enough. Right. And then, but the real, uh, I mean, if you want to call it some some monetary validation, I think mm -hmm. when I was in college, I auditioned for this USO tour and got to go overseas to the Mediterranean and mm -hmm. Persian Gulf and get paid. And my father said, you know, they're going to pay you to go to Europe. And I was <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, great. Yeah. Because at that point, I was like, you know, I was doing it maybe more than I should, you know, because I should have had my nose in a book. Right. <laughs> and I was really worried about his approval or disapproval. Right. And here this opportunity came, which would also, you know, make me skip a semester of school. Oh, um, yeah. So that was, and he was all for it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. So that happened. And then, you know, winning some contests, some local contests right. around town and yeah. stuff like that. So you, you were declared the funniest, you were declared the funniest person. In the person. world, yes. yes. in the world forever. Mm -hmm. yep. and, and that's a title that sticks with so, you. So, so great. Yeah. <laughs> Like I use it a lot at Perkins and right. different restaurants here. Right, exactly. And your, I noticed whenever I took your class, the syllabus actually at the very top, mm -hmm. it had that distinction in bold, in Lucidia bold. Grande. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, when did you start thinking that you wanted to pursue it as a career? Was it in eighth grade when you got that role? I think you know, most people will say, yeah. I think when I was a little kid, it's right. just a it's a 
thing that yeah. happens to you in your heart. Right. And there is no, uh, you know, it's a total insane delusion, <laughs> but it's there calling yeah. you. And it's that voice saying, you got to do this. You're going to do this. Right. It's the dream. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would say 98% of the people don't actually get a, any opportunity to make that out of, you know, high school. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. but some do, some yeah. try for a long time. Yeah. So I was, yeah, very, very, very lucky to, yeah. to just, you know, stick with it. A buddy of mm -hmm. mine says it's, you know, 10% talent, 90% perseverance. Yeah. I always tell the story of my daughters when I was younger and uh, they, they were five or six and somebody asked them, what does your dad do for a living? Mm -hmm. And they said, without missing a beat, he auditions. <laughs> Those kids are honest. Yeah, and insightful. <laughs> yeah. So that's what they saw me do every day. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Was it important, you think, that you got started so early? Like, did that kind of kickstart your, your pathway to the career? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially in comedy. Right. I mean, I knew I wanted to do acting, too, but I mm -hmm. somehow knew that stand-up was hot, stand-up was fun. Mm -hmm. I loved doing it, uh, but I also knew it was a gateway to maybe other things. Right. So... Uh, I was lucky to kind of transition mm -hmm. into that. Yeah. You talked about your USO tour just mm -hmm. a little bit. I want to I want to dive into that a little bit more. So that was like just a, like an open audition yep. that you did? Okay. Yep. Some people from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. Big city. I can't remember their names, but they mm -hmm. had a club there. And the okay. woman uh, was a big singer in mm -hmm. the USO circuit, I think, in the 70s. So she had some connections and she was going to produce this tour. And so she mm -hmm. thought, you know, comedy's hot. Let's find some comics. And I think she yeah. auditioned people in Kansas City. And she came to Nebraska, to Lincoln, mm -hmm. Nebraska. I think we were at the Holiday Inn Lounge or something. <laughs> and we all did sets. And I got the call. And two other guys got the call out of Kansas City. And, mm -hmm. and I just, you know, assume this is not ever going to happen. Right. Like, even at that age, I was jaded and bitter. <laughs> and I was like, this is... Nobody's going to Europe. Yeah. And yeah. the next thing you know, uh, there we were. Yeah. What was it like performing for troops in places like Israel, Spain, Italy? It was Greece? great. Yeah. It was it was outstanding. Mm -hmm. um, we flew into Turkey first, into the okay. capital. And, you know, it was my first time to Europe, and it was just uh, completely different than anything I could have ever expected. Yeah. We were kind of sequestered in this hotel for a couple of days, and... They told us not to go out, just eat in the hotel. <laughs> yeah. It was it was wild. And of yeah. course, one of our guys just immediately disappeared. He disappeared every in every city. <laughs> oh, and we're gosh. like, we don't know where he is. <laughs> right. And he was out, you know, trying to find something. Right. Anyway. I wonder if he found it. <clears throat> I don't think so. <laughs> but uh you that was cool. So yeah. we were in Turkey for like three weeks and traveling okay. all over the country and, yeah. and Turkey. Turkey's fantastic. The people mm -hmm. are beautiful and honest and wonderful. And the yeah. the landscape of that country is just incredible. I uh, had a great time. There's, there are a lot of bases and communication sites all over Europe right. that are located on the bases of these you know national countries. And right. So we uh, would do shows at the top of a mountain for eight people. Oh, wow. um, and every one of these, you know, little mini bases or pool table and a bar. Yeah. And uh, and then also the, the Turkish nationals or, the, you know, mm -hmm. Italian people or whoever would be right. at the shows. Okay. So that you might do a show for 10 people, might do a show for 400 yeah. on the deck of a ship in the Persian Gulf, you know. Yeah. Um, so this is a whole variety. And, and it was right. really about making a connection, saying hello, doing our show, but then hanging out and, okay. you know, talking and gotcha. getting, to, getting to know people. Yeah, yeah. Giving them someone to talk to. Yeah. Did you feel that you had to, like, change your material because of, like, the audience being not necessarily high strung, but, you know, they're soldiers, so they're kind of in a more stressful situation than perhaps your average audience. So was yeah. that like a concern of yours? Never. Okay. Because I only had 20 minutes of material. Right. So you can't yeah. really do much more. Yeah. You just got to do this. I got this, what they hired me for. Yeah. Um, and, and it was pretty, pretty open. Yeah. Uh, the, there were no parameters, as I recall. Later, right. when I started working in the college market, you really had to yeah. be able to work 100% clean. Totally. totally. Squeaky clean. Yeah. 
you kind of grazed over being jaded just a second ago. And that brings me to my first audience submitted question. Haley Morris, who you know, who works with the SCAD stand-up club mm -hmm. that you work with, uh, suggested for me to ask, do you think that becoming a comedian makes you jaded or changes your outlook on life? Well, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, Karen Kilgariff, a dear friend from mm -hmm. years ago that has a wonderful podcast called My Favorite Murder. And I read oh, right. one yeah. of her tweets this morning, mm -hmm. and she said, if you've been in stand-up for 30 years like I have, no one is funny. I saw, yeah, I saw that too. And boy, yeah. I thought about it for a second. I said, I don't know. No, she's absolutely yeah. correct. <laughs> It's so true. Right. So, I mean, it's not speaking to bitterness or, or being jaded. It just mm -hmm. becomes uh, you've kind of heard it and seen a lot of right. it. And you're hoping to death that somebody comes along and makes you giggle <laughs> yeah. um, or does something new and unexpected. Right. Um, yeah, I don't think it makes you jaded. Okay. Um, you will learn about yourself, hopefully, mm -hmm. as you traverse that road right or any other road you know let's say you do stand up for a little bit or let's say you never do stand up hopefully you'll mm -hmm. you'll take time to look inside and go why is my perception skewed yeah why is my attitude poor mm -hmm. i need to make some adjustments why am i living in this mazda miata <laughs> on the side of sepulveda and pico as <laughs> zach galifianakis reminds us yes i think showbiz can do that to people mm -hmm. and i'm gonna lump stand up into showbiz and right. you know acting all of it's hard and mm -hmm. there's a part of everybody i think that does it that that makes them feel a bit entitled why why'd he get that why'd she get that yeah. part why can't i be on that stand-up special whatever mm -hmm. um i'm i'm slugging it out in the trenches mm -hmm. but uh Al Lubell was a comic that we saw bring his notebook, and he didn't chit-chat a whole heck of a lot in, mm -hmm. the, in the bar prior to going up, but he was always working on new jokes, always writing, mm -hmm. and his stuff was always kind of uh, 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 above average and even more so. He, mm -hmm. he really was a, a disciplined person, and people like that you can learn from. Right. And I think no matter whether you're acting or in stand-up or comedy, writing, whatever, mm -hmm. you have to you have to have discipline. You have to have yeah. uh, you know some goals set, and that's going to carry you rather than what happens to, I would say, 90. I'm going to throw another percentage out. 91% mm -hmm. mm. of the people uh, get caught up in the comics that are in the back of the room. Yeah. People joking about you know race or whatever. Oh, I've got to have my take on race. And it's just watered down, poor ideas right. that they think, and and just so the pack can turn your head that way, mm -hmm. and it's and it's not good. How has your method of joke writing evolved since you were starting as a seventeen-year-old to now? Is like I, your method completely different? Yeah, I think yeah. It, for me, it's this is part of the next answer to your previous question, but it's about the economy of words. Mm. Yeah, for me, that's key. Right. Um, you know, Dave Attell's probably my favorite comedian and my favorite joke writer. Mm -hmm. uh, he has uh, a, a great sense of who he is. Mm -hmm. And so he's speaking from his heart or the heart of his character, mm -hmm. which is an extension of him. But also his jokes are uh, succinct. Mm -hmm. uh, what a gift. Right. I can't wade through your story about your vacation with your grandparents. It's not going to it's not going to take. I'm not going on the ride. Right. Get to it. Right. Get to it. So that's the other thing is uh, that I was going to say about uh, being a comic. Um, you'll go to dinner parties with regular folk, and they will wax on about their vacation with their grandparents. And mm -hmm. I, in my head, there's a voice that's screaming, "Get to it! <laughs> Get to it, please!" Right. So, I don't know. I I think that comes out of doing stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're like expecting like a, a payoff almost. Yeah. Because then that story ends like, and you know, we had fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay, but right. I don't care that you had fun. <laughs> right. Are there any stand-ups that you see out there right now that are like, you know, not one of the big names, but that you think is a really exciting new face in comedy? Not that I recall okay. right now. I mean, I have a lot of friends in Los Angeles that mm -hmm. are, that are doing great things. I think more than any of them are, they're women. Uh, mm -hmm. Megan Keister is mm -hmm. outstanding. Christina Catherine Martinez, and there are probably a dozen more, but that's who I've found right. that are 
doing exciting new things and and have a true comic voice that they've mm-hmm. somehow tapped into and yeah. are now just you know they're just throwing more stuff on mm-hmm. and they're getting better and better and better right will we ever see them in the you know mainstream you know bubble i don't think yeah. so and i hope not cuz mm-hmm. they're too good and they they're already honoring their right. their voices so but maybe I'm cheering for them to make a totally. living because they're yeah. geniuses. Right. It's hard. I mean, there's, you know, there's a very, very small percentage of people that cut through for me. Yeah. Now, when I was younger, I couldn't waste any time looking behind me to see what mm. youngsters were coming up. I, was, I wasn't interested and they didn't deserve any of my attention or time right. or love. And, but then the more I stayed in it, the more I was like, oh, this person's great. That person's great. <laughs> right. I'll never forget when I was doing a show with my pal Ron Lynch. We're doing the Idiots show. Mm-hmm. The UCB opened in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and we were doing it there. We started watching some of these other people come up, uh, like Paul Rust mm-hmm. and uh, Michael Cassidy and this little group. They were just outstanding, and they were subversive and insane and great ideas and throwing themselves physically into another group there, the Midnight Show outstanding that's exciting to me now to see see new people playing with new forms and new ideas and getting even more subversive taking more chances and also pushing the line the envelope and uh but yeah for me i think overall in terms of stand-up uh the people i'm watching uh or seeing are really doing it and and, and moving forward in a big way are are female comics which is Great and unexpected for me. I don't know why. I'm not sexist, but somehow they're tapping in. And again, I guess I could explain my philosophy on stand-up. I think it it comes out of the 60s and 70s where I see it as a social platform. And I would say 96% Mm -hmm. of people doing it don't understand that and they're just into you know bad poop jokes and trying to be (laughs) crass and they're feeding the beast every Mm -hmm. night if they get a laugh they're like that's moving to the top of my set Mm -hmm. that was good and they don't understand that it can be used for so much more right do you think it's a lot harder now to quote unquote make it in the stand-up world than it was back when you were rising up in the ranks i don't know i mean i don't know what it means to make it right you know, I I know there are there are many more rooms now. Mm-hmm. Whether those are A rooms or B rooms or C rooms or yeah. D room, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, when I was coming up, if you got on the Tonight Show, you have made it. Yeah. Totally. That was it. And then, and then when Letterman came around, it was really about Letterman. You know, right. nobody wanted to do Leno. <laughs> Everybody wanted to do Letterman. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that was it. You know, but all that, you know. Well, what leads to that is doing, you know, five evenings at the Improvs or Caroline's Comedy Hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. And only a few got to do The Tonight Show or Letterman. Mm-hmm. So, But that was it. Once you did that, you were kind of minted as a headliner. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, if you had the time, you could start working many more clubs. A, because you had tape, but you had tape with credibility. Right, totally. Um, whether it led to a sitcom deal mm-hmm. or a role in a movie or whatever that nobody knew for sure yeah Uh, so today are those opportunities uh available are they come are they being uh are development deals being thrown out like they were absolutely not Mm -hmm. you know the montreal comedy festival they still have a new faces showcase you know i'm sure industry will say we absolutely do develop new content yeah of course people Eh, not as much as you used to. Right. Uh, they do diversity showcases, which are outstanding and great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, so I don't know. If you can work and make a living, great. You've made right. it. You know, and if you can do that and sustain a life mm-hmm. and be okay with living on the road out of your car, great. If mm-hmm. that satisfies you, mm-hmm. great. You're a success in my in my book. You don't have to do. You don't have to be on a TV show. You right. don't have to be on a, in a film. You know, as long as you're still doing it, you're a decent person and you're being funny and you're continuing to raise the bar mm-hmm. in in the genre, then yeah, great. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you've done it. Yeah. Was that your definition of quote unquote making it when in eighth grade you got that role? No, no, I did I could, I had no idea what right. I was doing. I just, I want to do that. Yeah. I'm going to audition for this. Can you drive me? <laughs> and I guess I'm going to do it. Yeah. Should I do it? And then you just do it. You don't think about anything else mm-hmm. you know i'm doing this now 
Right. And that's the that's the you know the deal with life and mm -hmm. showbiz. It's like you know it's like this right now. Yeah, you're just stumbling through. Yeah. Yeah. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Right. And there are many paths up the mountain, as my dear friend Tom Nye's grandma told mm. him. And he shared that with me. Well, I hope she's listening. I do, too. <laughs> um, in, in the late 80s, you, you moved to New York City and then you moved to L.A. And so you, you pursued comedy and acting in both of those places, which leads me to another submitted question uh, from Jesse Ballard, who's the president of the SCAD Stand-Up Club. What? Uh, that's what I've heard. I thought she was fired. <laughs> <laughs> you could fire her on air right now. She wanted me to ask, how has stand-up evolved over the last 30 years, and how are the comedy scenes in New York and L.A. different? Well, huh, I, I think it just continues to evolve. I think what's evolved more are uh, specific rooms mm -hmm. um, for specific subsets of people. Right. Um, what I've noticed most is uh, you've got a lot more... Uh, alternative rooms um mm -hmm. this was popular in the 80s uh when rooms started popping up in delis and laundromats in mm -hmm. los angeles and you're like what yeah and that's kind of really uh that that took off again in the mid to late 90s in all over the place and mm -hmm. um and i think in savannah it's interesting you've got a couple different bars that do stand up and yeah you know, they don't stand up every night, but right. uh, so it's not different than anywhere else in the Midwest. It's like everybody's going to have their little night of something. Yeah. So that's great. And then it's everybody, everybody's in the pool, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and it's whatever. If you get an audience, fantastic. Yeah. So the New York vibe is definitely different. I mean, the New York audience, if you can imagine, is, mm -hmm. you know, packed in and they're like, give me a joke. Give me another one now. I want right. another one. And it is intense, and you better bring it, and you yeah. better push. You better push it, mm -hmm. and you better find the edge and go beyond it and take me further. And it's a great breeding ground for crafting your set right. and getting better. Mm -hmm. And you can work three, four sets a night and uh, continue to develop an idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, the audiences force you to do that, and they come out and they support it, similar to the way Chicago supports. It's comedy and it's right. theater or Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like what happens in Europe, mm -hmm. you know, and the state funds a lot of the theaters uh, because oh. why their citizenry demands it, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, it's a cathartic thing that yeah. they've understood that happens and that's why they fund it here yeah. in America. We want to kill everything that, right. you know, might inspire <laughs> of uh, course. anything right. in life. The oh. last thing Americans need is more inspiration. Yes. <laughs> or information. <laughs> yeah. So all those important I words. <laughs> yeah. In LA it's um you know you've got your hot clubs that mm -hmm. that are there and and, and they're all kind of struggling and they're all kind of papering from time to time but mm -hmm. it's the big names that bring them in. Right. And uh and then you got all your alternative rooms. Right. So uh but the general I think attitude of a Los Angeles audience is you know they're just a little more laid back. Right. And if you have a good MC and can get them rocking great. Mm -hmm. And again you have all your alternative rooms there too and your B and C rooms and mm -hmm. um backyard shows and right. you know bowling alley and all kinds of stuff. So it's all happening. Um and as a comic you just got to get up everywhere anywhere you can all the time mm -hmm. and that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah. And every comic will tell you that. I had uh, Sarah Silverman was helping a thesis student here, and she said, you know, you got to be undeniable. Do mm -hmm. your thing, follow your voice, and just do it, but be undeniable. Mm -hmm. what, a, what a great piece of wisdom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Whenever you were living in those cities, was there an A-list club that you were just really dying to get up at? Oh, yeah. In yeah. New York, it was Caroline's. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they also shot the TV show there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then her club was, you know, it was for sophisticated clientele. I mean, mm -hmm. the, the yeah. club was done properly. Yeah. And Caroline Hirsch was, you know, a, a, a lady of society. And mm -hmm. she, it was the best room and, uh, you know, outfitted the best with the seats and tables and mm -hmm. uh, PA and lighting. It was just, it was great. And, yeah. Um, uh, I never did the seaport, but when they moved to Times Square, I worked that quite a bit, and mm -hmm. um, uh, it was great. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the, every club was the club to get into, you know. Right. Um, 
when I moved to the city, I was there for a couple months and I had, I, I'd gotten in at the improv audition. They said, yes, you're in. You can hang out. Just call in, give us your veils, but come in and hang out. Hmm. And that's what you did. And you came in and you, right. you hung out from eight or nine o'clock at night and you might might every maybe two or three weeks get on stage at 1.30 for yeah. the four people from Germany. <laughs> exactly. Wasn't guaranteed. Right. And you would just hang out at the bar yeah. and watch. And, you know, many, many of us worked the door. I didn't work the door, but mm -hmm. um, that's how it ran. And mm -hmm. uh, while I was there, it went under, went away. And But I was with another friend who was touring on the road, Kathy Sorbo, and she was friends with another comic who had recommended her to go up at Stand Up New York. And uh, and I said to the owner, I said, I just moved to town. I'm a stand up also. He goes, you want to go up? I said, well, I'd love, yeah, I'd love to audition for you some other night. There are only six people in the audience. You go, you want to go up tonight or not? I'll be going up. That would be great. Yeah. And he, thankfully, he saw something in me yeah. that was... I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know what it was interesting or what, but he uh, became uh, a good advocate and let me go up and start working mm -hmm. at club a lot. And then I got into the comic strip mm -hmm. on the east side and then I got into the cellar, which was probably, you know, that was a big one. So mm -hmm. um, and then the Boston Comedy Club also got in there and just worked all those kinds of rooms and mm -hmm. bounced around with all the guys. You going downtown? Share a cab? Great. Yeah. And then you just, you know talk shit about everybody yeah exactly i'm, I'm sure it it kind of creates like a a, a cool tight-knit community whenever you keep seeing the same people yep at those clubs absolutely and stuff like that i really want to dive into mad tv because right. that is i think one of the one of the really interesting parts of your career you were one of the original cast members mm -hmm. of mad tv which was a launching point for many amazing comedians and is actors. that true that's what it's what i've heard okay it's what my research shows. No. Oh. Right. <laughs> um, when you auditioned, did you have any idea that the show would be as important as it was? Or was it just like another audition? It was just another thing. Okay. I was pretty new to town and I had uh, jumped into an acting class uh, with Ivana Chubbuck Studios. And that was outstanding and great. And, you know, uh, and auditioning every day. Nearly, it felt. Mm -hmm. And you didn't know. You just, you know, you're just going through stuff and, right. and meeting people. And I'd done some showcases. I had the uh, previous year, I had a holding deal with the WB. And uh, I booked that pilot and shot that pilot. And then I went to Aspen Comedy Festival uh, to goof off and, and do some sets. And these guys saw me from Mad TV and they roped mm -hmm. me into a room and said, we want you on the show. Mm -hmm. I said, great. I got. I just did this other pilot. It's going to be in second position if the other one goes. And they go, we don't care. We want you in. So I said, great. So <laughs> I shot the pilot for Mad TV, and we all sat around and waited to mm -hmm. see what would happen. But um, that was that was cool and fun. Mm -hmm. And um, and then my sitcom did get picked up, mm -hmm. and so I couldn't jump into the Mad TV thing until I don't know the next year or something. Anyway, I did okay. like six episodes here and there. Right. Yeah, to be honest, I did the pilot, and it was great. It was a great deal of fun, and we were all given moments to do monologues, mm -hmm. um, straight to camera, kind of introducing ourselves. And mm -hmm. I don't think they used any of them. Maybe they did. I can't remember. But mine was um, a direct address to camera, picking a fight with Adam Sandler, David Spade, and Chris Farley. And I say, I will fight any one of you. I'll fight all three of you. I don't care. We can use boxing gloves. We can use fists. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But I'm challenging you, and it was very serious and very strange, <laughs> and and a little and a little yeah yeah it was a little off yeah. Uh, but it was my take, and that's what I right. wanted to do, and they loved it. And uh, but they never used it, of course, right? Because they didn't want to be associated with SNL. They didn't want to make. They didn't want to draw any attention to the fact that we we're going up. On Saturday nights, opposite them, so mm. which was a great choice, right? So, um, uh, yeah, when I came back there uh, and did a couple episodes, um, I, I I quickly learned that oh, this is definitely written for a fourteen-year-old male demographic. Hmm. Oh, we're not gonna be doing anything uh, that's gonna push you know mm -hmm. further. I mean, I remember yeah. when SNL was on, you know, SCTV came on, and that was right. super inventive mm -hmm. and much more character-based. And uh, 
I just thought, oh, this has raised the bar yet again. Right. Um, so I was hoping Mad TV would do that, but mm. I don't think it ever did, really, yeah. in my opinion. But yeah. it's hard. Yeah. You know, when you're given a, uh, a limited budget, too, and yeah. you've got a million cast members. But mm. um, everybody on there was great, outstanding mm -hmm. from the writers to the performers. And, mm. You know, it was a good time and a great place to learn and just try things right. and work with others, you know. so Right. It's almost as if, like, maybe it was good that y'all didn't have the SNL pressure so you could, like, have fun experimenting and yep. make mistakes and stuff yep. like that. It was all based in the writing, though. You know, that's yeah. where it came from. And, yeah, totally. But they were also open to what characters do you have? And you come in and mm -hmm. pitch your, you know, wacky characters that you made up the week before or whatever. And then you'd also have groundlings, people that have been doing those right. characters for eight years yeah. or maybe two years. Yeah. And uh, you're like, oh, that's a, oh, okay. Yeah. Crap. It's like, well, what is that character? <laughs> Do you have any particularly fond memories that come up when you think back on your time at MATV? Uh, I mean, I think there are relationships that I developed that I still have that mm -hmm. I'm super grateful for. Right. Uh, Blaine Kapatch was a writer that I, you know, just consider the greatest, funniest guy mm -hmm. ever and just the sweetest friend and fellow bandmate and, right. you know, just like, uh, yeah, he's just outstanding so to have him around back then and to have known him for so long is pretty dang special mm. um david herman and wendy benbrook who did mm. wardrobe who's now gone on to work with kiss and, oh, wow. and many other things but yeah yeah just that's the best part going to new york going to the cellar and running into Artie lang and he's, mm. hey greg how you doing um you know that's what makes the whole journey kind of fun yeah i was just like being able to say hi to these people. Right. Uh, we did a reunion recently, maybe three or four years ago at yeah, some, some Comic-Con type thing. And yeah. that was fun to see people and say hi. But mm -hmm. they're all wonderful, genuine people. Mm -hmm. Adam Smalls, I run into him and just great guy. And mm -hmm. working with another guy, Trevor Moore. And uh, yeah, Deborah Wilson and mm -hmm. Mo Collins is wonderful. And Michael. Yeah, they're all great, genuine people and still doing it still mm -hmm. making a living and bless them all right um any yeah fond memories that came out i guess one of them that that jumps to mind is working on one of the episodes i was a pool boy in a sketch with mary i, I was one of her pool boys and i had to wear a speedo with uh, little guns and holsters <laughs> and she had guests on this this show were yeah. salt and pepper and they kept smacking my butt as i'd walk by them and that was pretty funny yeah <laughs> It was, that was Dear Diary. Right. Moment, yeah. Totally. Sure. <laughs> Dear Diary moment. So throughout your career, you've worked on some incredible TV shows such as Mad Men, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and The Office, just to name a few. I could go on for a while. Do you have a favorite show that you've worked on? I would say Mad Men, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. um, huge fan of the show mm -hmm. and the writing. That was uh, just to audition. Mm -hmm. was kind of a big treat. Yeah. And then... The fact that I booked a part on it was just, you know, that I was like, I'm done. Right. I'm done. I don't need to do anything ever again. It was just, you know, we love that show. And yeah. uh, so that was that comes to mind instantly. Right. You know, but every job, you know, you want every job you go up for. Totally. I mean, I hope you do. If you're an actor, you know, right. you know, you work, you dedicate, you get off, you know, get out of your waitress or waiter job right. that night before you drop the date the double date you're supposed to whatever mm -hmm. and you get to work mm -hmm. and you go in there and you know you do your best but uh i was quite surprised that that i booked that and what made it also wonderful was uh being on set with the other actors and the director and the tone of the set and the seriousness and also the yeah, the precision with which they, you know, gave uh, notes for each take. It was, uh, right. it was some good deliberate thought that went into it and a mm -hmm. lot of kindness. And uh, that was a job where I was very well prepared, I felt, in terms mm -hmm. of my lines and just was able to take notes and yeah. make those tiny adjustments. And they were always mm -hmm. slight shifts. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for every gig, uh, mm -hmm. you know, super grateful uh, to Mark Maron, who uh, mm -hmm. had me on yeah. his show repeatedly, yeah. and especially the last season, 
that I did on there, uh, I picked up like four episodes yeah. from him, and I needed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed that financially at that time, and so right. that was a godsend, and, and it came from a good person, and mm-hmm. uh, so super grateful for yeah. that. And you know, and every commercial I did, mm-hmm. uh, and every pilot that I did, they're just. It all becomes about relationships and right. you know meeting more people and and uh, learning more. You mm-hmm. know, I know we're going to probably get to Disney Channel, but that was a show <laughs> where I finally started showing up and paying attention to what lighting was doing and the camera was doing, mm-hmm. asking a lot of questions. I became yeah. invested in the process and learned a lot about the single camera format, and that became invaluable to mm-hmm. me. I feel like Mark Marin seems like a really genuine guy from all the stuff that I've seen from him. He just seems like a great person to work with. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I want to ask about working with another person because I just, I'm so fascinated about this. What was it like working with Larry David? He was great. Yeah. He was great to me. Mm-hmm. He was very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll tell you a quick story about that one. I yeah, don't know please. If I don't know if it's true. But <laughs> Those are the best I'd, kind. I had auditioned for the pilot and you go in and my manager said, just go in, don't be funny, just play the scene honestly right don't try to be funny so Mm -hmm. you go in you're given like a little synopsis on a piece of paper a strip of paper and then you go in and you improvise with larry and the writers are there and they watch and they maybe give you an adjustment and Mm -hmm. and you leave and um you might do it two or three times but um it was great it was great to play um and they're like yeah do whatever and uh, but i didn't book that part and then i think i came back for one other part which I didn't book, and then um, and then I got the part of another another episode, mm-hmm. and uh, and Jeff Garland told me at one point he said we were looking looking for this guy, and and I said to Larry if we don't find him in the next uh, three three guys, let's just give it to Craig Anton, <laughs> and I tell kind of nice to be that guy, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So I tell everybody, you know, I had to work for every role yeah. that I went in on, with the exception of one, you know, <laughs> where I happen to know somebody and I've been in two or three times already. So, and that never happens, totally. you know, so don't expect it to. But the, and the older I got, the more I would get those phone calls. You want to do a day on this thing? Yeah, I would love to, uh, because it was somebody I know. But that one mm-hmm. was, it was a high profile show. It was the first season. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we went to shoot and... Larry would say, yeah, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> say whatever you want to say. You can change it every time. And I, you're really, you're always just trying to find it. You right. know, you know there are parameters. So you know where the, there are things that you need to say. Right. And there's a turn that you have to make that transi- transitions ourselves into what we need to talk about, mm-hmm. which is the fact that I was going to break up with the girlfriend. Yeah. Right when the phone rang yeah. <laughs> that said the aunt is dead. Now I feel obligated to stay. He says, oh, so you stayed and you came to the funeral. Oh, man. And so my question was, you know, what is the time limit that you wait before you break up with this person? He says, oh, with an aunt. You know, you can wait, I don't know, you know, a couple days, a week. <laughs> But I mean, mother, you know, you got to at least wait two weeks yeah. or something, something like that. Right. So it was a great, great scenario. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, leave me, leave my name out of it. I, you know, I didn't have, and of course I totally throw him under the bus when I break <laughs> up with my girlfriend. And right. He's in the doghouse. But so we shoot and he is doing something different every mm-hmm. take. And I'm yeah. just trying to find it and totally. honor what we've kind of built already. And so I had to pull a Harvey Corman and turn around and stop from laughing, you know, because I couldn't, because he was, yeah. it's very conversational and natural, but yeah. it's still, uh, and you don't know this guy, you've never really hung out with him or worked with him, but all yeah. of a sudden he's talking about Hitler and you're just <laughs> laughing because Hitler had never come up before in the other yeah. rehearsals or takes. Right. So that was fun and funny. Mm-hmm. And we do a take. And he'd stand there just for a couple seconds, rethinking what had just happened. Then he would kind of nod his head and slowly walk away. And Hmm. he'd walk over to Video Village and talk with his producers. (laughs) And then you're just wondering, oh, boy. Yeah. Because there are also horror stories you hear about Larry. But anyway, he'd come back. He was, that was good. That was good. Uh, Let's do it again. Do whatever you want. (laughs) And you'd do it again. And and then eventually, all right, let's, uh, I think we're going to move on. And you'd move on and just, uh, so it was a lot of that, which yeah. was great. And then at the rap party, he was very welcoming and chatted with my wife and I for a while. And, yeah. And then I heard other stories about, you know, just him yelling at people, just say the line, just say this. 
It was great. Yeah, he totally seems like he could do both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what I love about the show is you can tell when they have to cut around him. Yeah. And when he's holding back from laughing. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 so great. So throughout your career, was there ever a time that you were worried that it wasn't going to work out and that you had made the wrong decision? Every day. <laughs> Every single day. Yeah. Um, no, I think somehow I was lucky to have that delusion carry me through for a long time. And I had a wonderful supportive partner. Mm-hmm. So that was huge. Yeah. My wife was just like, we met in New York and started hanging out. She came to a comedy club the first time. She came to Stand Up New York. I took her and uh, I was up on stage and a guy, another comic, uh, leans into her ear as she's laughing and says, you think he's funny? Wait till I get up there. (sighs) And that comic died in a tragic (laughs) car accident. A random accident. (laughs) You're listening to my favorite comic murder. Ha! Take that, Karen. <laughs> uh, but that's true. He did say that. And wow. uh, he's like one of maybe three comics that were actually helicopter off of a cruise ship for being so horrible oh with his stand-up <laughs> or being such an asshole. I don't know. But, right. Um, so we were dating a while. And, and mm-hmm. then I think, you know, at some point we're like, well, she's like, what's going on? I said, well, I'm really doing this. I want to do this and I'm going to go for it. Because I'm mm-hmm. kind of in the groove. Right. I'm going to see how long I can do it. I mean, I kind of right. took it six months at a time and say, you know, it's about finance. It's about economics. Yeah. So I said, my plan is to get to Los Angeles. Right. Because that's also what you saw the other graduating classes of comedy in New York doing. They would just move to L.A. So yeah. she's like, cool. So that was great. And then we got married. And so I moved out there. And, and it was really great. And, and I continued to work and continue mm-hmm. to work and had good people around me. And. You know, grateful for that. I mean, I, I'm slugging it out in the trenches of New York, mm-hmm. and everybody's getting picked off with agents and managers. And I happened to be at stand-up doing a set one night, and these two managers were at the uh, at the bar, and they said, "We want to talk to you." It was Abby Leviton who became my manager, mm-hmm. and uh, and Jeff, her best friend Jeff, who went on to manage, you know, Kevin James and all these great guys, Joe Rogan, and mm-hmm. just wonderful Jeff Sussman, just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. And, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so I was with Abby for 10 years, and she helped. I mean, I slept on her floor for, like, 10 days, two weeks, maybe a month while yeah. I looked for an apartment in Venice. And my, my wife and I both, mm-hmm. and uh, super gracious and wise and knew everybody. It was about her relationships. And and so um, she really helped, uh, you know, chart the course. And so And then at some point it was like, well, Okay, the star's a little less bright. I'm not ascending like I was, you know, and you start tracking that. You know, I yeah. I did not book a pilot this pilot season. Mm. Um, stuff like that. Or I didn't get as many. Everything was changing, too, and I was getting older. And mm-hmm. so all this stuff that happens. And then, you know, you're married and you have kids and a mortgage and all this stuff. So, you, yeah, you start wondering a lot more. Stuff starts to get more serious. But I was always back in class, mm-hmm. always trying to keep my eye on the ball, always putting another fire, iron in the fire, mm-hmm. um, in, yeah, starting to write and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, anything and everything you could do, saying yes to everything that comes your way, going to parties and mix and mingle and just like, what are you working on? Right. Which is something you learn in New York. It's just like, you know, it comes out of hanging out in the bar before mm-hmm. you go on. And can you get me on that? Who books that? Mm-hmm. So that's all part of showbiz. And if you don't have that, mm-hmm. um, you know, you learn it quick. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at some point, I think... It wasn't rainbows and, you know, yeah. shooting stars. And I was getting a little nervous. And so I took a job on a thing. I saw a guy at a party, Brian Frazier, was writing on one of these crazy dating shows, which I happen to love from mm-hmm. a weirdo, voyeuristic kind of <laughs> point of view. Yeah. I said, I love that show. Can yeah. you get me on it? And he got me on this show. And I went out and it ended up shooting till three in the morning. I was working with like two strippers, maybe three, and the bouncer of the strip club. And they were all pretending to be boyfriends and girlfriends. It was yeah. insanity. Yeah. And I uh, showed up the next day and I turned my my badge in and said, this is not for me. It was soul crushing. It was soul yeah. crushing. It was not enough money. And so, and then that day as I was driving away from that lot, I got a call on the Disney Channel show, either mm-hmm. an audition or callback or you're going to test or something like that. Right. Anyway, 
Mm-hmm. And so, the rest is history. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's that's the business. It's up right. and down. It's highs and lows. It's hot. You're cold. And, you know, you got to figure out a way to hustle and be tenacious and continue to believe in the dream. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, and you got to be in it for the long haul, mm-hmm. you know, or as long as you can do it. And I always said to my wife, you know, if I need to get a job, job, I do it. Yeah. And I'll take care of you. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and, ho- and thankfully, I haven't had to do that. So yeah. I'm still playing. I'm still, you know, doing stuff. Yeah. Even in the classroom. So. Yeah, exactly. And you've, you've been a professor here for, uh, in the same time that I've been here. Mm-hmm. I got another submitted question uh, from Seth Cunningham, who is a film student who's been on the podcast a couple of times. He wanted to ask what's the biggest difference between student directors and professional directors? That you've worked with. And then he also adds, be honest, you won't hurt our feelings. <laughs> well, I think they all know. I mean, student yeah. directors are learning. Right. You know, not to say that older directors aren't learning either. Yeah. That's a triple negative I just threw yes. at you. Um, so it's always our job if professors are cast in shows uh, to help those younger directors. And and by help, I just mean maybe ask questions or get mm. them to clarify what it is they want. Yeah. Um, I work a lot with student directors in classes. And mm-hmm. my biggest thing is, you know, keep it simple. Right. Know what you want and uh, make it action driven. The notes mm-hmm. should be, you know, action driven. Uh, don't give any more than two notes when you come mm-hmm. in to talk to the actor. If you give eight notes like Fred Savage would, you know, your brain starts to, you know, fall out of your ear. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, that's the biggest thing is just Mm -hmm. um, be prepared Mm -hmm. um, and then and then uh, really treat the actor, you know, as if they are a four year old child, you know, Mm -hmm. give them love and comfort Mm -hmm. and uh, confidence. And uh, that's the biggest thing. Uh, Yeah. People Mm -hmm. have been doing it for a while. They just have that instant rapport with somebody. Yeah. How you doing? Good. Look, um, let's do this again. Yeah. Let's put a beat there, and I want you to hit this line here. You know, they're more result-oriented directors because mm-hmm. time is money. Right. So it, there's no need to explain the story or where this character's journey has, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's just <laughs> yeah. all stuff you learn in school that is useful, but ultimately... Yeah. The clock's ticking. We got to right. get the shot. We're in the groove. We've mm. just reloaded the mag or whatever. Right. You know, we put a new card in. Yeah. Let's go again right away and let's right. uh, do this. Yeah. And so that that's it. I mean, it's no, my my favorite directors, uh, guy uh, Savage Steve Holland, who's simple and just had a great rapport with people on set, but also. Had a couple fun little camera moves that he would do, mm-hmm. and you'd watch his episodes, and they are always inventive and fun. And and his movies that he did early on still hold up because of that. And um and then some of the directors on on Marin that I did mm-hmm. were just outstanding. Yeah, uh, because of their simplicity and mm-hmm. their ease with with people. You're like a traffic cop for literally for yeah. 150 people, and you get nothing but questions, and you have to know. Every answer. Yeah. And if you come into a series you're directing, I had a great director I worked with. We said, what's it like coming in? And he says, you're like the host of a party that's been going on for two years. <laughs> you just have to fake it. I like you know? that. Yeah. But it's all about preparation. Right. What advice do you have for someone trying to make it, quote unquote, whatever people's definition of that is, in the entertainment industry today? Well, I think the biggest thing you can do is continue to place yourself in the right position, Mm -hmm. uh, meaning, and this is more about life than anything, but surround yourself with good people, with winners, stay in the middle of the pack. Yeah. You know, try that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're going to have to put food in your mouth and in your belly. So you're going to have to, you know, be smart about it. Mm -hmm. If you can borrow money from your parents and they can keep you afloat for 10 years, do it. Drain them, whatever (laughs) it takes. Um, Find couches. Yeah. That's that's the first step is how am I going to do this financially? How am I going to pursue my craft and continue to fill my spirit? You know, um, okay, I got to eat. I got to put right. gas in the car. So figure that out. Mm-hmm. And then allow for time to do these things. And you got to allow time to feed your life too. You know, mm-hmm. there's a great quote that says, if it's not happening in my life, it's not going to happen in my art. Mm-hmm. So you got to 
live your life. You've got to find balance. So whether that's, mm. you know, going to church or finding some kind of spiritual side of things or, uh, you know, doing Tai Chi or mm. uh, jujitsu or whatever that's also physical, right. yoga, whatever it is. Um, mm. And also going on walks and hikes and, you know, go to the museum and continue to fill your brain, your heart and your spirit with things that are going to fulfill you and also fill you. Right. So uh, go see things, go do things, say yes to everything. Those are the keys. And then things just happen. If you're, you know, if you're hanging out in the trenches with the pirates, that's going to take you on a different journey. It may take you longer to get there. And again, mm. it's what kind of success are you after? Right. You know, if you're a performance artist, you should move to Europe. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't move to Los Angeles. Right. There are rooms that you can do it in, but... Uh, so I think everybody's got their own definition of success. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's rare that you're going to get struck by lightning. It's going to happen mm -hmm. immediately. It's going to be a journey. So enjoy every moment of it. Enjoy all those little opportunities that you get. And mm -hmm. uh, hopefully one leads to the next. Yeah. You know, that's the deal. And, and there's no secret to it. It's just everybody will tell you that. Mm -hmm. And thank, hopefully you'll get picked up and do something really cool. And then mm -hmm. that will lead to the next thing, you mm -hmm. know. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, it's like a trail of breadcrumbs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think that's a, a perfect way to end this. We this didn't even talk. To, we didn't even talk about Phil of the Future, though. You know, no. I figured you might want to avoid that. <laughs> no, I like talking about that. Oh, it yeah. It was a good period of time. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. I mean, I'm down to talk about it. I figured you would be uh, annoyed by all the students' questions about it. <laughs> no, I don't care. I mean, I'm most recognized all the time by that show, right? Or from that show, and so. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, um, but I always yell at people, are you from Phil of the Future? I've done other things. Yeah, exactly. I just say that for, for fun. But, yeah, exactly. Um, no, that was a special uh, project because, it, again, it was another one of those things that came along at a time when I needed something. Right. And I originally went in and auditioned. I had worked previously on uh, Lizzie McGuire. Okay. I did a few episodes on there yeah. as a, a school chemistry teacher, Mr. Pettis. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know it, but I think I had uh, a couple writers that were on that show mm -hmm. and uh, that knew, you know, that had seen my work on there or something. And so, uh, so anyway, I mm -hmm. um, went into audition. I auditioned. I first got the appointment to come in and audition for The Caveman. And I did that a couple times. And mm -hmm. um, these guys were super nice. And I uh, left. I got to the elevator. Mm -hmm. And the casting associate came out after me and says, would you mind looking at another part? Which happens a yeah. lot at yeah. auditions. It's not something that's, what? Seriously? Yeah, you know, yeah. So, and I, but my kids were at a swimming lesson at the Y, and I was kind of rushed to get back there. <laughs> so I said, I can't. I'm, and I really, and generally, when this happens, you're you generally going to shoot yourself in the foot because yeah. you're given no time to look at the sides. Of we, course, actors are such people pleasers. You're like, okay, I'm ready. I'll go in, and you just spray it all over the room, and it's mm. never good. But uh, I picked it up. I looked at it for a bit, five minutes, and then went in. And these guys were laughing, and that mm. was great. And and then I never heard anything. And then I think months later, got a call back, came in, and I'm in the waiting room and looking at all these other iconic dads and, you know, movie stars and mm -hmm. everybody. And I went in and didn't hear anything for months. Mm -hmm. And then I got the offer to test for mm -hmm. it, uh, for the dad role. And, and then I was mixing and matching with different mothers and kids and standing there in front of the executives and thank yeah. you very much and mm -hmm. and then found out i booked it and then we shot the pilot and the pilot was great and and everybody i worked with was great and then mm -hmm. we went to series i think a year later it was the craziest okay. thing because they yeah. gotta you know edit it and then test it yeah and that process there was just lengthy and and then we got picked up and went to work and and just everybody on the set from you know, the executives to the directors and the writers and the mm -hmm. head writers and everybody was pretty great and, and all the other actors. And it was just, uh, we got to make an episode a week and it was like making a short film. And yeah. we had our own lot with our own studio and we'd shoot mm -hmm. on location on occasion, but it was great. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd fall down out of frame and stuff and they'd say, how was that? And I'd say, how was that? And they'd say, it's the Disney Channel, go bigger. 
And so that was always fun to have permission to, you know, keep inventing, keep finding new beats of things that the writers didn't find, Mm -hmm. you know, or didn't intend on the page. And that's the job of every actor is just to really mine the script for Mm -hmm. some nuggets and then, you know, run it by people and try it. Yeah. So... It was great. It was yeah. great. A great group that I'm, I'm still in touch with. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a bunch of different writers who I've stayed in touch with mm-hmm. and watched go on to write on other shows. Um, and yeah, and so that's, uh, you know, that that was one an, another small family of people that you right. get to know and get yeah. to stay in touch with and yeah. or know for, you know, for the rest of your life and can yeah. ring up at any time and say, hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. whatever what's happening and yeah so there were a lot of wonderful perks there being a part of that family being able to go to the parks mm-hmm. a lot for different special events and then you know requesting free passes and going and taking my kids and, yeah and so that was a special time too for mm-hmm. them to be on set and right. go to craft service and yeah yeah were they like dad's on the disney channel no they <laughs> not really they were just okay. like we'll be at the craft service yeah. area <laughs> but i'm doing the scene where they're gonna dump milk on my head okay great Enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll see it when it comes out. Exactly. I want to take advantage of these Disney Channel yeah. craft services. <laughs> but I did get to put them in an episode, uh, oh, which yeah? was really fun, too. And so they got to be actresses yeah. for, for a day, which they did not like, <laughs> thankfully. Right. Right. So I'm graduating this year, and I'm sure you're working with many students that are graduating this year. Do you have any advice for seniors who are very stressed and nervous about going out into the uh, real world, as we refer it to, yeah, and stuff like that. It's funny. I get a lot of visits in my office uh, in April and May. <laughs> yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. what. Can you give me some? Can you hold me? The holding does not happen. Let me Good. assure you. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> You know, a lot of what I've said already, it's one right. one step at a time. Nothing's going to happen overnight. And the biggest thing to know is that you're not going to make any missteps. Mm. There is no wrong way to do it. Yeah, Going forward is what you want to do. You know, just like I'm going to live at home for six months and work at that horrible job that I've had every summer. And I'm going to save money and I'm going to save money and I'm going to move to that place, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever place it is to hopefully pursue your thing Mm -hmm. and, uh, and get on with your life. And then it's going to be one day at a time and, and there's no rush for any of it to happen and none of it's going to happen overnight. Right. And it's going to be about economics and having enough money to go to that place so that you can get that job Mm -hmm. that you're going to need. Yeah. And that also, you know, it's going to allow you a little bit of freedom mm-hmm. to either be in a class or be in an improv place or be in a writer's group or yeah. go to shows or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, until you get that other opportunity where you're, you know, working on set or yeah. whatever it is. So have a plan. Mm-hmm. Know that you cannot screw it up. It is impossible to screw it up. So you got to acknowledge that a lot of that uneasy uh, feeling is just fear, Mm -hmm. right? We are so, in school, we are so driven because of the schedule. And there is a a tempo that happens in school that we all want to continue with once we get out. Well... Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah. So the the tempo of life is much different. Right. No more Um, 10 weeks. Right. (laughs) So you got to, you know, kind of take life as it comes and you got to go after it and you have to be disciplined. I mean, that's the biggest thing, Yeah. you know, and you learn to do that over the next Mm -hmm. several years. You know, you Mm -hmm. just go, oh, yeah, well, I was hanging out in the park for way, way too much. So I got to I could have used that time. So Mm -hmm. I had a friend that had a life coach and he told me it's really just about time management. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned. And so, yeah, you know, hopefully you can carry on this discipline mm-hmm. that you've developed in school and, you know, put it towards your life. And again, find balance, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, stick with winners. Mm-hmm. So that's all I can say. And just go on the ride. You know, that's the deal. And if uh, you look for opportunities or as uh, 
in the book, The Alchemist, which my daughter shared with me, mm -hmm. there are these omens, you know, there are these clues, there are these opportunities that present themselves in life. And that's what I can look back on that happened to me. Mm -hmm. I happened to be at the right place at the right time. And some kid saw me. I was trying to make money to move to Los Angeles. Right. I was doing stand-up, and this guy who was on the road for an agent in the college market saw me, and he says, are you available to go out tomorrow on this tour for 14 weeks? It pays a $1,000 a week. I said, yes. <laughs> yeah. I had no obligations, and so I was right. able to hook my train to that thing. And then I did mm -hmm. the 14 weeks. I sat down with the agent, and he said, do you want to manage this show? We'll split a percentage. I'll book it. You manage it. So I did that. I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I did that for a year or two, and then I became a solo act in that market, and I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. So became about opportunities, but became about people, you know, that steer you this way and that yeah. way, or saying, hey, I'd like to do that for you if you need help ever. And they go, oh, that guy's a go-getter, whatever. They go, that guy's yeah. annoying, whatever. <laughs> so it's about yeah. keeping your radar up, keeping your eyes on the bigger prize. Mm -hmm. You know you want to move forward. You don't want to just slug it out in the trenches every day. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Right. Uh, maybe you have low self-esteem and you think you need to slug it out in the trenches for 15, 20 years to become the best comic ever. Yeah. Um, I saw that life. I knew what it was going to be. And I didn't, I, I wanted to do anything else after a mm -hmm. while. I didn't want to live on the road. It's about living on the road. And yeah, yeah. hopefully that's helpful. I think that's very helpful. I mean, I, I already feel so much better. Good. So. <laughs> Let's hug it out. Yes. <laughs> Don't touch me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I think the people listening who are, you know, mostly SCAD students will be able to get some good some good insight to uh what their life could look like in I the hope so. in the coming years. So I really appreciate it and um we look forward to seeing what you do next. Yeah. <laughs> the next thing I am doing is a play called The Realistic Joneses mm -hmm. that will be at the uh, uh 39th and Paulson space. That'll start October eleventh, three weekends. Okay. Uh beginning October eleventh. Great. Here in Savannah? Yes. Okay, sweet. I'll put links to information of that in the description of this episode. So if oh. y'all want to see that, go check it out. It's going to be wonderful. Very funny. Yeah. Beautiful play. And we've got some SCAD stand-up shows coming up as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a bunch yeah. of exciting stuff. Be on the lookout. Um, but again, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, thank you guys for listening.